Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. The subject of hell often gets ignored in many churches today, but it's a subject that needs to be addressed. It's mentioned multiple times in the Word of God, and we're going to address it today. Chris Cravens preached a wonderful message back in 2006 at Union Bible College Camp Meeting in Westwood, Indiana, and he titles it, Hell. I know you'll enjoy this very sobering message. Stand with me if you would please tonight, Matthew's Gospel chapter 5 in your Bibles tonight. I know you're hot and weary and uh, pray the Lord will help us these next few moments, a burden that I believe God laid on my heart early on in the meeting that I should deliver to you tonight with the help of the Lord. It's the Sermon on the Mount, the words of Jesus, and he speaks to us in verses 29 and 30. If thy right hand or thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out. Cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body be cast into hell. Tonight, I want to share with you four things I know about hell. Father, help us this night, in this moment, as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Carl had died while in his 40s. I tried to leave Car lead Carl to Christ, but Carl had not responded with unquestionable certainty. And only eternity will reveal the outcome. While at Carl's funeral, however, a charismatic pastor read from a booklet entitled The Next Place I Live, a book that was handed out to the children at the local public school. The book bragged of making no religious connotations, but went on to try and describe a life in the eternal hereafter. The pastor happily read that eternity is a place of breathtaking silence, a place where you have no body, no bad things. Everything is mystically beautiful, and you are just you. 
He read that this place that awaited all who lived was a place of great tranquility, a place that focuses totally on nothingness, a place of indescribable joy from no definable source. And on and on the pastor read these words with big reassuring smiles and nods. As the minister read, I felt I felt the entire chapel full of people who knew little of God, let alone heaven or hell, sink into deep hopelessness, loneliness, meaninglessness of such a place. And that day, that minister told little minds and big minds alike that we'll all go to that same peaceful place eventually when we die, a place of blissful nothingness, the grassy meadows and sparkling streams, that lets you finally be you. And Carl is now finally Carl. With tears stinging my eyes, it took all I could muster to not stand up and tell that ghastly audience that this myth was ridiculous and untrue. For eternity, eternity is not some unknown place where we just all join up together again someday. But we believe tonight that there are but two distinctive eternal destinations of the soul, a heaven and a hell. I'm convinced tonight that our duty as the extended arm of the redeeming Lord in this corrupt worldly culture is much more serious than we could ever have comprehended it to be. For in the clutches of our sweaty hands are the souls of men and women and future generations that are bound for an eternity somewhere. In my city, I'm called on to officiate many funerals and graveside services of uh, unchurched families in Finley, Ohio. I find it absolutely appalling, the perception of our world regarding death. I've come to realize that as far as our society goes, uh, nobody goes to hell anymore. I remember a funeral where I was called on to officiate recently. They had no pastor, no church. I was rent a pastor for a day. They wanted to bury the old man with his deck of cards and his tin of rum. And as I gathered with the family around the casket, they all talked and cried about the fact that the old buzzard was likely upstairs running the heavenly clicker so God and everybody else could watch ESPN. Recently, I officiated a funeral in which someone got up and read some homemade poem regarding the great bingo hall up above. I've heard of the NASCAR tracks of heaven. I have known of them being buried with their six-pack of beer, their bag of golf clubs, as if eternity held for them some endless party. One lady declared as I stood at the head of her husband's casket, she declared these words, Well, now I guess he's causing hell in heaven. My friend, it's simply not so. There is no hell in heaven and there is no heaven in hell. I've grown weary of hearing around caskets that we're all going to go see Aunt Millie one day, or Grandpa Smith, or the pet dog Buster, or the little kitty mittens, when the soul of the departed has lived a life which they have either ignored Jesus, or trifled with the Bible, or trampled on the call of holiness, or stayed loyal to their sinning addictions, and lewd entertainments, or simply lived a pagan life in which no one ever told them the grand old story of Jesus. My friend, eternity is far too important tonight for you and I to ignore. 
While we believe that the Bible teaches us of an eternal place of the blessed and redeemed, a place called heaven, we also know the Bible teaches us of the reality of hell. Not just a place known as the grave, but a place of everlasting, never-ending torment. Tonight our world has been numbed to the reality of such a place. A place of a burning, boiling, a blistering a cavern, a place called hell. And one of the great reasons we have become numb is the American church has grown silent. We have forgotten tonight that the gospel still confronts. The gospel still aims to make sinners uncomfortable. The sword divides. The Holy Spirit yet convicts. And we are not in the business tonight in our churches of simply the collection of souls, but the transformation of souls. The mainstream church world no longer lifts high a bloodstained cross. They have forgotten that it's not just about congregational acceptance, but about radical conversions. We are in the soul-saving, transforming business tonight. Even the pulpits of our churches, and even for a while, God convicted me in my own church. We had grown silent to warn and compel people to turn from the wrath to come and flee to the feet of Jesus, the Savior of the world. God's convicted my heart deeply. And that's why I must preach to you tonight on this matter of hell. You see, our perspective of hell will change the way we think, the way we view our ministry, the priority of our involvement, the investment of our talents, how we spend our money, the level of our sacrifice, our passion for the unsaved, our willingness to put our money where our heart is. Yes, a fresh vision of hell tonight will eliminate our little list of enemies. It'll check the priority of our church wars and what we're wasting our energy and efforts on as ecclesiastical leaders of our day. Tonight I'm convinced that we have no greater business than the rescuing of eternal souls from eternal damnation. If we could see into hell tonight, the beauty or value of a building that we hold dear will likely change in your mind. If you could realize that by extending a room or knocking down a wall or buying a church bus or extending the staff or starting a Bible study or a prayer meeting or joining the calling team or taking whatever measures necessary to rescue one more soul from the awful blazing blackened pit of a place called hell, it would become the most important thing in your agenda tonight because there is there is a place called hell the first thing I know about this place called hell tonight is that hell is indeed literal in fact the entire Bible both Old Testament and New Testament reinforces the doctrine of hell and whatever the liberal, cold, lethargic, and even mega church world wants to state, the Bible declares that there is indeed a hot, a horrible place called hell. Tonight it's time that we march into our world with a clear message, wrapped in compassion and love, bathed with anointing, that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Charles Spurgeon said, it is shocking to reflect that a change in the weather has more effect on some men's lives than the dread alternatives of heaven or hell. George Barna Research Group declares a research 
mega research entity of which I tapped into and got some information from that I found rather startling. Barna Research Group tells us that the more educated our nation gets, they have numbers that prove the more income that we earn, the less likely we are to believe that heaven or hell exists. Barna said most Americans do not expect to experience hell firsthand. Just one half of one percent expect to go to hell upon their death in spite of the way they've lived. Sixty percent of Americans say that the devil or Satan is not a living being, but just a, a symbol of evil. Fifty percent of professed born-again Christians deny Satan's literal existence, that Satan and hell are just myths. We wonder why we're in the shape we're in. The bottom line is tonight, my friend, we are called to serve our present age. And in our world, the reality is bold. Millions of Americans have redefined grace to mean that the Almighty God is so eager to save people from hell that He will change His very nature and universal principles for their individual benefit. It's astounding how many people have developed their basis of faith according to their feelings and cultural assumptions rather than the teaching of the book that declares there is a place called hell. Hell is real tonight. Hell is literal. Hell is literal because it was created by God. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41, Then shall He say unto them on His left hand, Depart from Me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell is literal tonight because it's been created by the very God of heaven Himself. Just as beautiful as heaven will be, I'm sure, created by the hand of God, so hell created by, by God for the cursed, for the wayward, for the rebel. Hell is literal because it was illustrated by Jesus again and again. Jesus used it as an illustration. In fact, in Luke chapter 16, that familiar story, verse 22, our Lord says, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes. Hell is a literal place tonight. It's not a figment of our imagination. Hell is real. Hell is literal because not only was it created by God and illustrated by Jesus Himself, but it's clearly stated throughout all of the Holy Scriptures. Proverbs chapters 5 and 9 describe hell as the final destination of the society of the wicked. Isaiah 33 declares hell as a place of everlasting burnings. Matthew chapter 3 and 5 and 10 and 13 and 25 describes hell as a place of unquenchable fire, of bodily suffering, a place of soul suffering, a place that becomes a furnace of fire, a place of everlasting fire, a place of punishment. Luke 16 tells us that it is a place of torment. Acts chapter 2 declares hell as a place of disembodied spirits. 2 Thessalonians 1 describes hell as a place of destruction from the very presence of an almighty God. Revelation describes hell beyond doubt as a place with fire and 
and brimstone, a place that houses the eternal destruction of the beast and the false prophets and the devil and all who know not God. Revelation 21.8, these words, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. My friend, tonight, hell is not some wild illusion. It's not some ministerial trick to frighten people into religious submission or conformity. Hell is literal. Hell is real tonight. My study some time ago, a lady in her 40s sat across from my desk. She was a Muslim lady that had somehow landed in Finley, Ohio with her mother and her sister. Her mother had been stricken with a horrible terminal illness that ultimately had taken her life. Someone in the church had met this lady at a yard sale, invited her to church, so she came. And for the very first time, heard about the gospel of Jesus. She sat in my office now, weeping, crying. She goes, I can't believe I'm just hearing this. I can't believe I'm just hearing this. If I've heard you right tonight, Pastor, if I've heard you right tonight, my mother must be in hell. Because my mother has not, has not heard this message that I've heard tonight. And pastor, do you know where we live? Yes, Layla, I know where you live. Pastor, we live down by that big church, just three houses down. And nobody told my mother about hell. The truth is tonight, hell is literal. There is this place called hell she looked at me that night and she says pastor please we must tell everybody about this horrible place this place called hell tonight this I know about a place called hell hell is literal the second thing I know about this place called hell is that hell is horrible Jesus' words, it's a place that's created for the devil, the demons, and the wicked, the ungodly. Matthew 13, 42, And he shall cast them into a furnace of fire, where there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Luke chapter 16 and verse 23, And in hell the rich man lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. In Revelation chapter 14 and verse 11, And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Revelation 20 and verse 10, And the devil that see them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beasts and the false prophets are and, and shall be tormented day and night forever and forever. Tonight hell is horrible. 
I've heard the religious, uh, rebellious, I'm sorry, teenagers that tell me uh, in their cocky attitudes uh, that they want to go to hell, they tell me, uh, because all their friends uh, are going to go to hell, uh, and they're all going to go down there and turn it uh, into a party. Just the other day, I passed two guys on motorcycles uh, driving to driving home, uh, and they're on the back of one of their t-shirts. It said, hell, yeah. I thought, buddy, uh, when you get there, you'd give a thousand worlds uh, to get back on earth. Uh, and have another chance. Hell is a horrible place. Hell is a horrible place tonight because of its separation. Separated you will be if you're so unfortunate as to make your bed in hell. You'll be separated from the comforts of this earth. No more shade trees or singing birds. No more weekend vacations, homemade meals, or peaceful conversations. No more hugs from those you love. No more pain-killing medications. No more will there be a tender touch upon a fevered brow. No more rest and no more friends, no more happiness, no more laughter, no more paydays, no more sunshiny days, no more water and no more shade from the blistering sun and no air conditioning, no ventilation, no escape. The drunkard will have no drink. The addict will have no substance. The hungry will have no food. Hell is no glorified heaven, my friend. Hell is hell and it's a horrible place. It's horrible because we will be separated from the comforts of earth. Hell will be horrible because of its separation from godly people. There will be no praying saints in hell. There will be no more singing choirs and great majestic anthems played in hell. No more hunger for God in hell that is hunger that is met. No more worship services with the glory of God in our midst such as we experience tonight in hell. No more kind words in hell. No more fellowship in hell. No more will you hear a voice calling you to an altar of prayer in hell. No more will you hear the prayers of a godly mother or a godly father or a godly teacher or pastor. No more in hell you'll be separated from all the godly people. They'll be removed. They'll be taken to their final reward if you are so unfortunate as to make your bed in hell tonight. There will not be one godly saint to comfort you in your hour of grief and sorrow and torment and tragedy. Hell is a horrible place because of its separation. Separation from the peace of God. Separated forever from the love of God. Separated forever from the mercies of God. Separated forever from the compassion of God. Separated from the grace of God. Separated from the comforts of the Holy Spirit. Separated from the power of God. Separated from hope in Christ. In Christ, all hope is gone in hell. Hell will be horrible because of its separation. Hell will be horrible tonight because of its sounds. Can you hear them? Can you hear them tonight? The gnashing of millions of teeth. Millions begging for mercy. Begging for death. For an end to their suffering. For just one more chance. The cries of the hopeless. The sobs of the eternally lost. The curses of the damned. The screams for death to come. But it does not come. The sounds of hell will make hell horrible. Hell will be horrible because of its scenes. The teenager who points his finger at a father or mother who is more interested in him hitting a home run instead of being right with God. 
the neighbor across the fence or down the street who points a bloody finger in your face and with hollowed eyes and unspeakable anger and despair screams, Why didn't you warn me? Why didn't you tell me of this awful place? I see crawling through the caverns and hallways of hell the young woman who ran from the call to missions, the young man who never answered that call to preach. Listen to them screeching in their raspy voices now. Oh, God, I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, over mountain or plain or sea. But it's too late. It's too late. It's too late. And it's what will make hell a horrible place. Hell will be a horrible place because of its senses. The neurological institutions of our day tell us that the brain retains a permanent record of a person's past like a continuous film strip with sound. So in hell, so in hell, the brain will unwind and replay. You will remember every service. If you are so unfortunate as to make your bed in hell tonight, you'll remember every service. You'll remember this service. You'll remember every testimony, every prayer you heard prayed, every altar call, every time God spoke to your heart. You will remember. You will remember in hell. Your senses will be alive in that horrible place. And it's what will make hell horrible. You'll feel the pain. You'll feel the lostness, the falling, the pitching, the screams of anguish and of anger. Hell will be a horrible place tonight. A horrible place. I hadn't been at Finley very long and the call came from one of my godly parishioners. Pastor Cravens, will you go with me to visit a man? A man named Clark. He was a man that was up in years the same age of the parishioner that I knew. I went to visit Clark. Clark had been, gotten saved years ago when revival had swept across the ridge there in northwest Ohio. He had got saved with a whole bunch of them when revival came back in the 1930s, middle 30s. God swept through that area, and Clark was one of those that was saved. But he had seen better days. Now he didn't know. He would allowed things to come back into his life. And he had picked up old habits that he had once forsaken, moved things in he had once moved out, uh, and it left him doubting and fearful and frightened. Uh, and he'd asked for some help and prayer. And so a godly parishioner and myself went to visit he and his wife in their home. We tried to pray, but it didn't seem to do any good. We left there discouraged, went back again, didn't seem to do any good, left there discouraged. Finally, my phone rang in my office. The call was transferred, and it was a call from the hospital. Pastor Cravens, we're here to let you know that a certain man, Clark, has been admitted to the psychiatric ward of the Blanchard Valley Medical Center, and he's asked if you could stop by. I, quick, I said, I'll be there. Thank you for the call. As soon as I was able, I made my way across town. I went up to that third floor. I headed for that west hallway. I stood by that great huge oak door with a little window in the top. I rang the buzzer. I waited for them to uh, acknowledge my arrival. I told them who I was. I heard a big heavy click on that door. And I reached down and I turned the knob. And I stepped through and that heavy oak door slammed and clicked behind me. I walked down that hallway... Uh, 
quite aware of the faces that looked at me, young and old alike, from out of those darkened doorways with hollow eyes and pained expressions. I made my way down to the room where they told me Clark was. I stepped into his room, and there he sat, staring at the window. He sat in a little chair, and beside him, a little glass of water, and he sat staring out the window. I walked over to him. He never flinched. I know he heard my steps. He never turned his head. He never acknowledged my presence. I kind of cleared my throat and pulled out my Bible. I wasn't, I wasn't sure what I was in for, but I knew I could feel the demonic oppression in the air. I could almost hear the wings of demons. It was a heavy moment. Finally, I sat down in a little chair beside Clark and kind of looked out that window, and he's kind of blinking. I watched as he, as he lifted that little glass of water in shaking hands and touched it to his lips, and he sipped at the water. I said, Clark, it's a beautiful day, isn't it? He didn't say a word. I said, Clark, would you like for me to pull the shades maybe maybe the sun is a little bright in your on your eyes would, would you like for me to dim it a little bit and which he said oh no please please don't shut those shades preacher please whatever you do where i'm going i'll never see the sun again i said clark listen let's pray clark let's talk to god i've read about these things in storybooks i've heard old time preachers talk about moments like this but yet here i sit right in that room experiencing that very thing i I said, Clark, are you, are you, are you thirsty? Are, are you all right? Uh, he said, oh, pastor, pastor, listen. Uh, where I'm going, where I'm going, uh, I'll never see the sun again. Uh, where I'm going, uh, I know I'll never have uh, another drink uh, of water. I, I've got to drink water. I just want to see the sun. I said, Clark, it don't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be. God loves you. Uh, God can save you. Let's turn to Jesus. Uh, will, you, will you pray? No, he said, it's not any good. It's not any use. Uh, but you can pray. I prayed the heavens were brass. I felt like I didn't get very far. And finally, after I'd done my best, I got up and walked out of there. And I walked back down that corridor with a heavy heart back to my office. And a few days later, the call came and Clark had passed away. Now, I don't know what the condition of Clark's mental condition. I don't, I'm not here to cast judgment on him. But I know this tonight that hell is very real and hell is very literal. And I don't, I don't know his mental state. But I do know this, we can wander far from God and lose our hope and lose our faith and backslide from what we once knew. And for that one, hell waits with its gaping jaws to swallow you up. Hell is going to be and is a horrible place when all our senses realize in our lostness, hell is a horrible place. I hear it every time I bury someone. Well, at least they're not suffering anymore. And I want to say so badly, if they didn't know Jesus, what do you mean? What do you mean? They begged for a cancer ward. They begged for one more chemo treatment. They begged for double amputations. If they could just have a chance to get right with God. For hell is horrible. Not only is hell literal... Second thing I know about hell is that it's horrible. But the third thing I know about hell tonight is that it's eternal. The scriptures tell us Jesus said they would be cast, the lost, the devil, the demons, those who know not God would be cast into an everlasting fire. Matthew chapter 25, and they shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal. And Mark chapter 9 tells us that hell 
Hell is that fire that never shall be quenched. Matthew again tells us the words of Jesus. And then shall he say to them on the left hand, Depart from me into the everlasting fire. Everlasting, everlasting tonight. Hell is eternal. Not just a purgatory where somebody pays enough or prays enough to get you out. Not just a process through which you walk through a blazing cavern until your soul is cleansed of all its sin. But hell is a horrible place, an eternal place where the punishment will be forever and and ever and ever, hell has no escape or route. Hell has no escape doors. It has no return aisles. Hell has no U-turns. You once, if you're so unfortunate as to go to hell, you will be there forever and forever and forever. Hell is an eternal place. I recently came across a story. The great black orator preacher now gone on, Dr. E.V. Hill was preaching a conference in Michigan with Dr. Jack Hiles. I was able to hear Evie Hill preach a couple of times. And he tells this story that he and Hiles were together in a conference in Michigan, and they put them up in a room together to stay the night. Dr. Jack Hiles, of course, pastored the First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana, Hiles had one of the largest bus ministries in the world. He ran 20,000 in Sunday school. He said they baptized an average of 100 people a week. It was said that Jack Hiles, when he hired a secretary, and for what all you believe, we all know tonight the doctrinal issues, but I want to tell you something. This man's heart burned for souls. It said that when he would hire a secretary, he wouldn't ask her how many words she could type, but rather, how many souls have you reached? When Hiles hired a janitor, he didn't care whether they knew if they could wax the floor or not. But he always asked them, sir, how many souls have you won to Jesus? That was a driving factor in his life. Dr. E.V. Hill, the great pastor and preacher from Los Angeles, asked Dr. Jack Hiles that night as they stayed together, Jack, he said, let me in on why you're such a fanatic about soul winning. What's your story? Jack Hiles told the black orator his story. One night he said, I was awakened as a young man by the piercing screams from my sister. I ran upstairs to her bedroom and found her setting up in bed, sweating and hysterical. I shook her but got no response. So finally, I had to slap her. And I said, sis, what's wrong? Did you have a dream? And she replied, sobbing, no, no, Jack, no dream. Hiles asked, what happened, sis? Was it, then, was it a nightmare? And to which Hiles' sister said, Jack, no, it was real, Jack. I just got back from hell. My dream took me, she told her brother, a few miles down a road of glitter and lights, at which deceived all of mankind and all who passed therein. There was nothing at the end but desolation and hopelessness, and I found myself staring at the gates of hell. I walked toward the gates of hell knowing in my heart, she told Jack, that I would never be free again. I reached the gates and the keeper of hell said, hold it. She said, Jack, I stood outside of hell. I saw people whose faces were twisted and tongues were thick. Their eyes bulging and their hands chapped and split with blood dripping. The sister said to the keeper, sir, sir, could we please let some air in? Which the keeper said, there's no air in hell. 
She said, sir, let, let them have just a drink of water then, just a drink of water, to which the keeper said, no water in hell. The sister said, then sir, if this is true, then please do them a favor and let them die. Just let them die. The keeper said, ma'am, there's no death in hell. Jack Isle's sister said, I fell on my knees and I sobbed, oh my God, how long will they suffer? And the keeper said, forever and ever, for hell has no exits and hell has no death. Jack Isle's sister said, Jack, as I turned to leave, the keeper said, go back and tell your story. She said, Jack, as I turned to leave, I saw Daddy. I saw Dad, Jack, and Dad's in hell. Daddy's in hell, Jack, because, because Daddy never got around to doing the most important things. He schooled us. He fed us. He provided for us. He was a good dad, but he never got around to saying yes to Jesus, Jack. And tonight, I saw Daddy, and he's in hell tonight. Jack Hiles concluded his story and looked Evie Hill in the face and said, Evie, I win souls every day so that nobody else's daddy has to go to hell. My friend you would be so unfortunate as to make your bed in hell tonight. It's a place that is eternal. It's forever. It's forever. It's forever. Hell is literal. Hell is horrible. Hell is eternal. But there's one more thing I know about hell tonight. Hell's avoidable. Just think about that a minute. Oh no, there's not no, an escape door in hell, but you can avoid hell tonight. Hell is avoidable, for God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If you're so unfortunate tonight as to be on your road toward hell, you don't have to go. I came all the way tonight to tell you, you don't have to go to hell tonight. I know dark the stain that soiled man's nature, long the distance that we fell, far removed from hope in heaven, near to deep despair in hell, but there was a fountain opened, and the blood of God's own Son purifies the soul, and it reaches deeper than the stain has gone. Hell is avoidable tonight. You don't have to go. No wonder the songwriter said We've a story to tell to the nations that the Lord who reigneth above has sent us His Son to save us and show us that God is love. Tonight, tonight we've heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, and He still does tonight. You don't have to go to that horrible place of everlasting punishment. You can be saved, and you can be saved tonight. couple girls, that, young ladies that run our bus route, 
one of the buses in Finley where I pastor. A, few, a couple of years ago, began to seek the Lord for supernatural things to happen on their bus route. They were picking up kids. God was helping them, blessing them in their route. But they hadn't seen anybody saved. You know, that's what it's all about. We give altar calls in our children's worship, junior worship, teen worship. I mean, you get them altar calls. You give them a chance to get saved. Even Don't give up. Hopefully they'll get saved a million times. If so, one of these signs is going to stick. And they were praying for souls. God laid a family on their heart. They didn't know. They didn't know. I remember preaching one Sunday morning shortly after this Harry Potter thing had really hit about like the Da Vinci Code has come out. You remember a couple years back, the Harry Potter thing really came out. And one Sunday morning, felt that I had to address our congregation with the dangers and evils of, this, uh, of the Harry Potter story. And, and so I did that morning. A bus mother was in the congregation, all in her black garb and black eyeshadow and black lipstick and black fingernail polish, dressed in all the blackness that comes with the satanic world. Partway through my sermon, she got up to her own words. She said, Pastor, you remember me walking out on you that day? I said, really? I, had, I hadn't really thought of it. I said, well, my, I think I about forgot it. She goes, I'll never forget it. She goes, as I walked out of that church this morning, I never felt such darkness in all of my life. She walked out that Sunday morning and hadn't been back now some year or so later. And these two young girls are praying for their bus route. It was a Friday night. This mother had went to bed. She was a witch, professed witch. She was deep into satanic worship, just as dark as you could be, as black as you could make it. That was her life. She had three kids that didn't stand a chance that we were bringing in on our bus. But these two young gals are praying. Friday night, a Friday night, suddenly... Suddenly, she, this, this lady was under medication for nightmares and alcoholism and all. You can just name it all. Suddenly, in the middle of the night, she's having a horrific nightmare that she's going to hell. And she finds herself awake, sitting up in bed, screaming, Oh, my Jesus, have mercy on me! And he did. And she saved her. She said she got up. She got up out of bed and she started going through the house. Uh, she started ripping all of her satanic symbols and emblems off the walls and off the shelves uh, and putting them in a bag and threw them out in the yard. Uh, she said, I got to thinking I had three Bibles stored away somewhere in a box. Somebody had given the kids. Uh, she goes, I went and I got those three Bibles out and I put them up on the shelf. Uh, she goes, I went back to bed and I slept like a baby. I was up early, she said. Couldn't wait uh, for those Saturday callers to come through to tell them that something had happened. I knew they could tell me about it. It. That Saturday, those bus callers came through, and they told her, "Why you've gotten saved?" She goes, "What do I got? Well, you got to start coming to church." She was at Sunday school, man, bright and early Sunday morning. She, that's what Christians do, you know. When you got old time religion, you'll go to Sunday Sunday school, bright and early Sunday morning. She was there. They tried to warn me that she was coming. They were scared to death. They didn't know. We didn't know what she'd look like, how she'd act. You know, it really doesn't matter. Just so she starts walking with the Lord. She showed up. That Sunday morning, I announced a board meeting. And on the way out, she said, Pastor, where's that board meeting at? I'm going to show up. I'll be there. I mean, she was gung-ho. 
I want to tell you something tonight. The grace of God can still penetrate the darkest of circumstances, the darkest of lives, the most wayward of sinners. And I tell you, one touch of His grace can transform you from a child of wrath to a child of His mercy and wonderful life. For Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Hell is avoidable. No wonder the songwriter said down in the human heart crushed by the tempter feelings lie buried that grace can restore. Touched by a loving heart, wakened by kindness, chords that are broken can vibrate once more. So rescue the perishing. It's the mission of God tonight. If you're lost, if you're wayward, if you're on your way to hell tonight, it's gone God's mind that you be redeemed, whatever it takes. Hell's avoidable. Heaven's obtainable. And Jesus Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You want to go to heaven, you can. You can. Through the merits of His shed blood. We're giving you an invitation. You're standing tonight, please. But before the music even starts, if you're a hungry heart tonight, you don't have to go to hell this last night of camp meeting. You don't have to be lost. You don't have to walk out into the... the, the Gaining darkness of this night with the darkness on your soul. You can walk out of here tonight with joy bells ringing. A hope like you've never known before. A light at the end of the tunnel. One of these days, one of these days we can stand the entrance of heaven and hear the booming voice of a loving, faithful God say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Oh, how I long to hear those words today. Somehow tonight as I sit in my chair and they sang that, just just the thoughts of what's to come, brother, gave me a little energy and a little help, a little hope. For these days I want to hear him say, Cravens, you gave it your best. You let me help you along the way. Well done. Enter in. Enter in. Enter in. And one step on shore. To know I missed hell and made heaven. And in the presence of the God who sent his son to save me, will be worth every mile, every sacrifice, every effort. Hallelujah. We're singing tonight a song of the singer's choice as he sings. Come on, join these that are here. Come on. I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on.